So for those of y'all who don't know, um, Reed said, my name is Pete Shaner. Um, you've probably seen Pistol Pete, Preacher Pete, um, Peter thrown around on Instagram. I've seen those have cracked me up all week. Um, so, but I'm new on staff here. Um, like Reed said, my wife and I moved here um, in September. We moved here from Charlotte. And I just wanted to kind of echo what Brian said. Uh, we're thankful that y'all have welcomed us so well. Um, we have just really felt loved by y'all's presence. For those of you who I, we have met, um, and for those of you who we haven't met, uh, we're also thankful, and I'd love to, love to get to know y'all as well. So today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 17, as 17 through 20, as part of our uh, Sermon on the Mount series. And, but before I start um, with that text, I really want to kind of prepare our hearts. Uh, this text is it's one that's pretty heavy. It's one that's pretty stern, and it's one that's pretty deep. Um, and in order to kind of get y'all in that mindset, I want to be real with y'all from the start. I want to tell you a story um, about something that happened in my life um, and then in the life of somebody that I really care about. Um, and I hope that'll kind of give you a little bit of perspective as to how sin and brokenness can really impact our lives um, and how important it is for us to, to recognize sin and recognize, um, recognize that before it's too late. Um, so I grew up in a family of five. I have an older brother and a younger brother. Um, my older brother's 28 now, and he's the one that I want to kind of talk about tonight. Um, his name's Jackson. Um, when I was in high school, he went off to college, and he really kind of got involved in the, the party scene. He joined a fraternity um, and started just kind of dabbling in different drugs and kind of got into alcohol, and um, it was just kind of normal, normal college stuff, um, but it really turned into something a whole lot more than that, and he wound up coming back home and after his second semester, and he, that just kind of continued. It kind of continued to become more and more a part of his life. It became something that um, he, he just went to every day, the alcohol. Um, I would have my morning coffee. He would have his morning whiskey, and that's the truth, um, before we would go out and work construction for my dad in the summers. And it got to the point where I really had to start having hard conversations with him of just, man, this is, this is hard on us. It's hard on our family. It's hard on you. And it's just hard to watch you do this to yourself. And that, he kind of brushed that off for, for a really long time until about a year ago, um, he went, he started having really bad knee pain. Um, and so he went to the doctor, the doctor did x-rays and MRIs, and they found out that his hip was almost completely dead. It had been deteriorated by the essentially the alcohol in his blood had deteriorated his hip and he had to get a full hip replacement at 28 years old um, and so that was really a wake-up call it took it took the doctor telling him that that alcohol was a direct cause um, for his pain and suffering there were just years and years of Jackson denying the fact that he he had a problem with alcohol um, I finally took the doctor telling him that alcohol was the problem for his pain and suffering for him to realize um, that he drank too much. Um, and so the passage I'm talking about today is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. There's a lot here and there's a lot of hard truth, but there's also beauty. Um, and I hope that we get to see that tonight um, through, through God's word. Um, so let's turn to Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth and that we get to hear tonight. Lord, I just pray that as we go through um, this text that we would learn something new and that we would learn something um, just that that helps us in our day-to-day life that we're able to hold on to and able to look to you um, for our guidance. Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts right now um, and that we would be able to learn more about you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. For, for those of you who are note takers out there, I'm going to kind of have three main points tonight. Um, and so here they are kind of right off the bat. Point number one is why do we follow the law? Point number two, what are the results of following the law? And then point number three, what happened when Christ fulfilled the law? So before, before we go straight into it, um, I want to kind of clarify what is the law. The law was in each one of my points. What, what is the law? Um, the law is, it's essentially Old Testament scripture. Um, that's what they called the, anything that was written before the time of Jesus in, in the Bible is considered Old, Old Testament law. Um, this includes the Ten Commandments. It com- includes the other laws in the Old Testament um, and the prophecies that point towards Jesus. So that's what I mean when I'm going to say law a lot. Um, and so that's what I mean. I mean the Old Testament, essentially. And so let's get into point number one. Um, why do we follow the law? Is it because our parents told us to? Is it because we're afraid of the consequences? Is it because I want to be considered better than the the person sitting next to me? Those are all reasons that each one of us use every day when we're, we're justifying our decisions. In our lives, we're given opportunities where we either get to, to choose what the Lord is calling us to, or we can choose to turn the other way. Those dis- big decisions in our lives often turn out to be the most influential times. Those decisions and consequences are what led to the, the big life change um, for my brother and that, the pain and the suffering that came from that. <laughs> I'm sure y'all have experienced similar situations either in your life or the life of somebody in your family or somebody you're close to um, where something huge happened, something big, something hard, something, um, something that just really hurt, rocked them to the core and it changed the way they thought and the way they um, looked at life. Right now, you might be feeling stuck in a cycle of addiction or, or sin or a, a lifestyle that's just unhealthy for you. But you don't see a way out of it. No matter how many times somebody tells you that this, this, isn't, this isn't good for you, you're blinded to the hurt that it's causing you. Why, why do we always have to wait until, until something big happens in order to change? We, we can't rely on these situations to guide our lives. We have to take responsibility for, and look to Scripture to see what God says about it. The good news is we follow the law because we love Jesus because he first loved us. And he lived the perfect life knowing that he was, it was going to lead to his torture and death on a cross. We don't follow the law because we're scared of the consequences. 
Because that, that will never solve the problem of sin. Simply following the law because we want to be better than the people around us, well, it'll just lead to us justifying our sin. That's what the Pharisees did. And the Pharisees thought, oh, if I follow this law perfectly, then, then I can get into heaven. If I, if I look better than everybody else, if I look better than um, the rest of the crowd, then, then God has to accept me. In order to explain this, I kind of want to I want to use an illustration um, from John Piper, but I kind of want to apply it to my life. Um, so, like Reed said, I got married to my my beautiful wife Sam in June of this past year, and so imagine this: imagine it's it's our first wedding anniversary. It's June twenty sixth, twenty twenty one, and I've had to work all day. I um, after work, Sam's at work. I go out to the store, buy a beautiful bouquet of flowers, daisies, which are her favorite. I, I bring it home, put it on the table in a beautiful vase. When I'm sitting there, when Sam comes in the door, um, she looks at the flowers. She says, oh, Pete, these are, these are so sweet. This is beautiful. Uh, why did you get me these? And this is what I want you to pay attention to, is what, what's my reaction when she asked me, why did you get me these? If I said the truth, I said, oh, Sam, I got, the, got you these flowers because I love you. I got these flowers for you because you make me feel so loved every single day um, that I just wanted to get you these to show my appreciation. She would feel so loved by that response. But what if, what if I, I kind of flip it on its side? She comes in and I say, and she asks me why I got them. And I say, oh, I got those for you because if I didn't get you flowers, it's our anniversary. You'd be mad at me. I, I have to get you these flowers. Do you see, you see the difference? She, Sam would, she would be so mad at me. She'd be like, oh, well, that, that does not make me feel loved at all. That makes me feel like you had to give me these. Like what? That doesn't make me feel loved at all. And that's what we do in our relationship with God. Are we following his laws because we feel obligated to? Or are we honoring his laws because... We love him and we know how much it means to him. And we know that he knows what's best for us. Jesus in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount talks about some of the specific sins. And Jesus really hammers down on that point of how the heart is just as important as the the sins on the outside. It's so important for us to look at the heart problem as well as to what people are seeing um, on our exterior. Now that we know our hearts need to be in the right place in order for us to begin understanding the law. Let's look look into what the results of that change perspective are with kind of the next point. What happens when we look at sin with our hearts oriented towards God? And that's that's what I want to get to at point two. Um, What are the results of us following the law? This language is pointing, the phrase, this phrase shows up in verses 19 and 20. Um, it's the phrase in the kingdom of heaven. It, it shows up three times. And what is that language pointing to? It's pointing to something beyond our time and space here on earth. Um, the question that everybody wants to know the answer to is, how do I get to heaven and what, what is it going to be like? We get glimpses from scripture um, into that realm. But one thing we can know coming from this passage is that there's something bigger. There's a bigger plan God always has forever in mind as we, because we as humans are wired to have forever in mind because that's how he made us. Paul David Tripp in his book Forever um, uses this quote. He says, 
we have forever inside of us, and it creates a natural disappointment with the brokenness of the here and now. That's so true. Up to this point in Scripture, it's been, it's been so hard for people to see forever because the Old Testament has been waiting and hoping on this Messiah who's, who was to come, who was, he was, Jesus was to come in the future, this Messiah was um, what they were looking forward to. Now we have seen Jesus, we've seen his life and the impact that he had. So now we're able to look at forever. Um, it's when we try and downplay the idea of forever that we get in trouble. When the world and society tells us that this earth is all we have, the, the idea of you only live once uh, is the idea that you, you better live it up now because this is all we got. That's just not true. We get caught up in the here and now and our decisions start to look more and more like the decisions that we make every day. We make decisions based on how much pleasure we're going to get out of them. Um, for example, do I go to the Clemson football game tonight or am I going to have more fun just watching it on the couch with my friends? Um, or do I get up and go to the gym? Is, is going to the gym worth it? Is, is the result, is the pleasure that I'm going to get out of going to the gym worth, worth it? Those are the questions that we ask ourselves every day. And that's the trap that we fall into when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. We justify our decisions any way we can. We say, it's okay for me to drive home a little tipsy because it's better than if this person drives home. They've had way more to drink than I have. Or we say, it's okay for me to look at porn because it's going to bring me pleasure and it's not, it's not hurting anybody. Or we justify having sex with our girlfriend or boyfriend because it's better than hooking up with a different guy or girl every single night. The kind of thinking, that kind of thinking can really make things more pleasurable for us in the short term, especially when things are going well. But Jesus here is warning us about the danger of avoiding his commandments. Verse 519 says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Scholars have looked at that, that phrase, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, and, and they, they don't really know exactly what Jesus is saying there, but the consensus is that it's not a good thing. You don't, you don't want to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so, and, that, and that's the truth. Um, Jesus put these rules and these laws in place for, to protect us. And also, what happens when things go wrong? When you get in a car wreck because you, you actually were too drunk to drive, or you realize that looking at porn is affecting more than just you, it's affecting the way that you look at the people around you, or you find out that your girlfriend or boyfriend just isn't the right person for you, and now you have that emotional connection that comes with, with sex. The formula that you've been using to bring you joy and success isn't working anymore. And it can, can really go one of two ways. It can, it can bring you closer to God, like it did for Jackson, and it can lead to healing and it can lead to, lead to redemption. Or you can run, run, you can run away from God because of the shame and the guilt that comes from those, that sin. It's just too much for you to bear. That's why we can't base our relationship with God on how well things are going for us. Or we risk losing and giving up the one constant thing in our lives. And that's the love of Jesus. We have to keep our minds and hearts on the bigger picture. 
And that's working towards something so much greater than earthly pleasure. And that's that statement in the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're working towards. What happens when we apply this pleasure mentality to our relationships with Jesus is we start to have these questions well up in our minds. These questions of, man, well, life would just be so much easier if I wasn't a Christian or if I didn't have all this pressure hanging over my head from my parents to be the perfect Christian son or daughter. Or when we, we're following what God says and we're, we, we think that we're doing such a good job and we think, man, why, why, why are good things not happening to me? Why is God making life so hard for me? I, I'm doing everything I can. Or we start to think, why is life so easy for that person that's not a Christian and just, who just gets to kind of do whatever they want? The fact is that whether you're a Christian or you're an unbeliever, when our hearts are relying on our day-to-day activities to bring us joy, we'll always be left wanting more. We're built for something greater than just finding pleasure here on earth, which Jesus tells us in John 16, 33. He says, talking about eternity, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's such good news. He has overcome the world. In other words, being a Christian is hard. Following the law is hard. But we have something so much greater that we're working towards in eternal life. Jesus isn't looking for us to dig deeper into ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus is actually looking for us to put our burdens onto him. Our lives don't change unless they're changed by the Holy Spirit and the righteousness of Christ. That's what we see in verse, verse 20 of this text. It's easy, it's easy for us to talk about the righteousness of Christ and, and it changing us, but what does that really look like? And why do we have faith? We have faith because Jesus fulfilled the law. He did exactly what he said he was going to do in verse 17. And that's what brings me to my, my next and last point. What Number three, what happens when Christ fulfills the law? In the passage, we're told that Jesus came to fulfill the law and not to abolish it. We see that in verse 17. Jesus is trying to get across that the Old Testament law is still in effect. He uses the Greek word pleru. And yeah, me, my country accent, I took Greek. That um, was a struggle. Uh, but, but when talking about the Old Testament he means to make come, this word pleru means to make come true or to fulfill, which is what Jesus did by living out the law perfectly, making sure that people, that the people he is preaching to know how deeply he cares about the law and the rules of the Old Testament, showing that he loves the law so much that he's willing to die on a cross in order for it to finally be accomplished. This doesn't mean that the law loses in importance, but it But now we know its full meaning because all of these things that were pointing to something greater in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus finally gives us the perfect example of what an execution of like a perfect execution of the law is supposed to look like. He gives us an example of what our life should mirror. And this in turn gives us a clearer picture of God's righteousness and. So over, over the holiday break, I had a conversation with my friend named Scott, and he asked me this question. He, he was talking about his life experience, and he said, Peter, my dad treated me terribly. He said, 
my dad, he treated me and my brothers and sisters terribly. He, he verbally abused us. He physically abused us. But he, he went to church every single Sunday. What, what he said, what I can't figure out in my mind is how, how would God save somebody like that? But somebody who lives their life perfectly and not perfectly, but does everything right. They treat their kids well. They um, are smart with money. They um, give a lot of money away to charity. They treat their, their friends well. But they, that person that just can't get their mind around the idea of Jesus being their savior. Scott was asked the question, how, how does God make that decision of who's going to hell and who's going to heaven? Um, have y'all ever been forced to, to think about that moral dilemma? Because Scott's right. The person who has done more good for society is the one who's really still denying Jesus. And I told Scott, I can't speak to, to your dad or um, his heart or what he had on the inside. Only God can do that. Um, but the only thing, what I can speak to is that the only right answer to that question is that we're not saved by our own righteousness. No one can do enough good things in order to outweigh their sin. Jesus is imploring us to do the right thing, but we have to acknowledge that our righteousness doesn't come from our own actions. It comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus who did everything right in our place in order to save us. When Jesus dies on the cross, he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies made thousands of years ago which bring about a new covenant even greater than the old, um, which we're told in Jeremiah 31, 33, which says, I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts and I will be their God and they, will be, they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God will write the law on our hearts and our sins will be forgiven. But in order for this to happen, we have to admit that we need Jesus and that we can't do it on our own. We see similar language in Galatians 3 and 4 when Paul is answering the questions that the Jews are asking. He's answering the question of how are law, faith, and righteousness connected? All of these big theological terms, how do, they, how do they work together? And in Galatians 3, 24, Paul says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. In other words, when Christ fulfills the law through his death and resurrection, faith in him overtakes the law, meaning that faith and obedience of the law are led by the Holy Spirit who is continually sanctifying our lives through faith. And that, that will show in our obedience to the law. That doesn't take away the importance of our, our following of what Jesus says, but it makes it that much more important. You're probably thinking right now, Pete, what... This is a lot, and what does it mean to me? And you're right, it is a lot. Um, it's the truth. It's the truth that the Lord puts certain events in our lives to teach us and mold us into better servants of Him. And I really don't want to downplay the the hurt and the pain of the sin that each of us has experienced. But if that's the only way we're changed, then that's a problem. God made us for so much more than just reacting to pain, reacting to negative things. 
If we're only learning about sin through our consequences, we're like, we're like a dog who learns how to be obedient by being sprayed by a, a vinegar water bottle. Um, so <laughs> this is kind of a funny story, but we have a dog named Minnie. She's a, a black lab, and she has, she's got this issue. I'm going to be real with y'all. Uh, every single, and some of y'all may have experienced, I know the staff has, but every single time Minnie meets somebody new, she... She gets kind of crazy. She starts getting anxious, and she sniffs, and she, she, she just goes right for the booty. She, like, sniffs right up in there, and it, it surprises everybody, and everyone's like, what the heck is going on? Um, and so it's like that. What, it, what we, Sam and I have tried to do is we've put vinegar and water in a water bottle, and every time Minnie, Minnie's going for that booty, you, you spray her, and she, and, and, and she, and she associates that, that hard thing, that, that thing that she's not to do, not supposed to do, um, she associates something that she doesn't like with it, um, and so that's what we're doing in our relationship with God, I know it's funny, um, but we're made, so, made for so much more than just reacting to our surroundings. He made us perfectly in his image and gave us the capability to, to process, the capability to listen, the capability to love. God made us different than all the other animals. He made us special, as we see in Genesis 1. He made us very good. So if, if y'all didn't hear anything tonight, and maybe the mini story brought you out of your, your sleep or your slumber, um, I kind of want to bring you back in to this passage and leave you, leave you with a few encouragements to remember from tonight. And so number one, check your heart. That's meaning, why are you following the law? Is it out of love or is it out of obligation? Don't, don't let something, don't let it take something drastic to happen to you before you realize your sin. Number two, live by forever. Meaning don't get caught up in the disappointment or even the joy of the here and now. But remember that we're, we're working towards something greater, something, something beyond our, our, our knowledge and capability in the kingdom of heaven. And then point number three, righteousness comes through Christ. Meaning that we'll be made righteous with real and spiritual change which will result in us honoring and following the law in our daily lives. So whether you have known God your entire life or you're just learning who Jesus is, take this away from tonight. There's a God who loves you and lived the perfect life because you never could. That's Romans 3.23. Know that the Bible is for you. It shows us the fullness and the freedom that comes from a life with Jesus. Along with that, the beauty of a life honoring the commandments of God, like John read in the call to worship, there's beauty and there is um, genuine goodness that comes from honoring and following God's law, God's law on earth. Um, so I want to leave you with this verse. Um, it's John, 1 John 5, 3 through 5. And it says, For the love of God, for it is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So, so the answer to the question in the title, are we good enough? The answer to that question is, on our own, no, we're not good enough. But we do have hope. We have hope in a Savior who was good enough. That's Jesus, who died on the cross and did everything for us. We are good enough, and we are good enough through Jesus and his righteousness. 
So remember those truths and we're going to close um, with some prayer and then the worship team's going to come back up and we'll sing one more song.